A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Cocoons of Horror, the podcast that revisits classic horror and other pulp fiction. Steve and I are talking about possibly covering the new House of the Dragon series, but before we make that decision, I'd like to do a little test. I thought we'd try to see what sort of interest we could generate with House of the Dragon, so I invited Podcastica's Jason Cabasi. You might remember Jason from his coverage of Game of Thrones back in the day. He and I do a retrospective. And we do some anticipation for House of the Dragon. If you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you probably already know Jason's voice. He had a very popular Game of Thrones podcast back in the day. Right now over at Podcastica, they're covering Yellow Jackets and they're winding up their coverage of The Walking Dead. Jason tells me that he just revamped the website, podcastica.com, so go check that out. And then after that conversation, Steve and I talk about the Oscars. Okay, here is Jason. Kabasi. Jason, I think you have one of my favorite podcasting voices. Oh, that's really nice. You have a nice voice too. I when well, I listened I wasn't to myself, no, I know, but I thought that when we, you first came on, but I thought it would be a little weird for that to be one of the first things I said to you. Uh, but uh, I actually, when I first heard myself, I. I, I think most podcasts probably say this, but I couldn't stand <laughs> the sound of my voice. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a pretty common experience. But yeah, I I think you have a very distinct voice. I feel like if listeners of this podcast like jumped in in the middle, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Jason's on. I, <laughs> I know that voice." Yeah, I, I guess so. I, Do you I, get that I, a lot? Uh, I, <laughs> one thing that happened that was super funny one time is I was in my local comic book shop and I started I had a Walking Dead comic in my hand and I was talking to the clerk about it uh-huh. and the guy behind me was like you do a podcast right <laughs> and so I mean I, I I think especially if someone right. heard me talking about the Walking sure. Dead the context would they totally pick it up for sure <laughs> you're walking around parading around waving a Walking Dead comic People would probably notice that it's you, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. So, Jason, we are about three years out from the start of season eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah, it seems like it has not been that long ago that it ended. 
Uh-huh. Seems like it's been about a year ago or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the things I was curious, I, I kind of was, it's hard to know when a retrospective is warranted on something that was important in my life. Like is, is one year too too short of time? Is three years yeah, too right. long? That kind of thing. And I guess I've been wondering whether, because there's just tons of content, not just tons of content, but tons of really great content on all kinds of different screens these days. And I always wondered, like, well, Game of Thrones kind of fade into the wallpaper yeah, in sort of the cultural consciousness. So let me get your take on this. What is your sort of retrospective on the sea of content and the place that Game of Thrones occupies in that sea? I mean... I think Game of Thrones is one of the greatest shows ever made. And so, I mean, there is so much content. I was looking it up. The most recent year I could find data on was 2019, where it said there was something like 519 scripted shows in existence. Right. And (laughs) more than, you know, one day you could watch a new show every day of the year and still only be about halfway done. Um, Uh And uh, even even with that, I, I mean, I, I used to listen to a podcast about writers who were uh, showrunners and mm. the host would get different showrunners together and just talk TV. And t- it was really fascinating. And uh, every episode, no matter what showrunners they had on there, they would mention Game of Thrones in revered right. tones like, you know, because they also create shows a lot of times it'd be like, oh, my God, yeah, I could never even reach the heights of that show. And um, so. But on the other hand, I think because of the way that it ended, which kind of didn't satisfy most people, and I have my own thoughts on that, which maybe don't exactly go with the general consensus, but um, I think it's tainted. And so I think if they had stuck the landing in a Mm -hmm. way that people felt was consistent with the earlier seasons, it would be in this rarefied air. Like you've mentioned in your notes to me, is it more like 1977 star Wars or 1989 Batman? I think it would be more like 1979 or 77 star Wars. If Mm. it, if it had really stuck the landing, but since most people agree it didn't, I don't think it's quite, I think it lost a lot because of that. I think it will still be remembered for sure, but not in the way that it's not like the James Dean of shows, you know, where it's like this icon. I mean, it still is, but just not not as high up. Let me ask you you this. You know, it's it's a great place to start. Were you ever a fan of Breaking Bad? Oh, yeah. That's one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite. Yeah, I think it's probably in my maybe top 10 Mm -hmm. shows I've ever watched. And um, and you can disagree with me on this, too. But I think that show stuck the landing, right? I do. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you could argue that it was maybe a little too nice of an ending, but I still felt very, very satisfied with it. So, yeah. Well, let, yeah, let me put it this way, then. I don't feel like the end of the show seemed like a different, an altogether different series than the one i began no i feel like they were true to the theme they were they were true to a few of the key characters we had some really satisfying resolutions i mean you could quibble with a couple things but yeah i feel like they saw it through and ended well absolutely and i know and because of that 
Breaking Bad has maintained its cachet in a way that Game of Thrones maybe hasn't. I see. That's where I think I was going to say something different. I think I was oh. going to say something like, even with that, even though Breaking Bad stuck the landing, I have gone back and rewatched favorite episodes of Game of Thrones a number of times. I still feel a certain affection for some of the, you know, the massive ensemble cast. I, I, I just there's something about Game of Thrones that is still higher on my list than Breaking Bad, even knowing that Game of Thrones didn't stick the landing in the way that I would have hoped. I mean, I think anyone who examines and analyzes these things and is really into it would, it's such an impressive show on many, many different levels. I I just think for the general public, who doesn't think so deeply about it and is more just <laughs> sure. going by what their feeling is. Right. They might not feel that way, but I, I agree with you. I think uh-huh. it's a more, it's a more impressive show. I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but I think well, it is. Okay. Let's, you said that you might have a kind of a diverging opinion and I wonder, let me throw this idea at you. Mm. Do you think that most people are dissatisfied with the ending or do you think that it's just the vocal minority that's dissatisfied with the ending because the numbers of the show only ever went up right yeah it's hard to know um my experience of the show is filtered through episode by episode podcasting that i did at the end we started with season five sure and went from there and um the people that i was podcasting with you know we had several of us we'd rotate in different people Uh and some of them were just pissed off and really <laughs> deeply hurt by the whole thing oh no <laughs> you know, like a life-changing kind of a thing right and uh, and a couple of other of us loved it and thought i mean i personally think that the pacing is the major problem and uh-huh. if they had if it had been paced similarly to the rest of the series yeah you could have had the same things happen but just more fleshed out it would have been amazing. It was amazing already, but it, that oh. would have really stuck the landing. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, how do you know what the non-vocal majority thinks? That's right. Yeah, no, I think that that's... <laughs> I guess I'm asking that sort of rhetorically. And I guess I'm glad to hear that experience from you because if you really care for these people you're watching alongside, it's hard not to experience the show through their eyes right yeah i mean for me as a podcaster i tend to like to take an opposing viewpoint occasionally so it was almost like that made me like it even a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) a little contrarian a little bit sometimes (laughs) i i will say this so aaron and i were trying to promote this book gods of thrones about the time that that uh, season eight came out. Yeah. And we are going to do one last promotional video or not video, but podcast about the book the night after the final episode season eight. And I remember walking in the bald move studio. It was just me and Aaron. And I said, Oh, he said, what, what do you think? And he was clearly, it was like, it was like someone had just killed his dog. He just <laughs> he was so wounded. I felt oh. so bad. I wanted to give him a hug. Oh, man. He was so wounded. He's like, what did you think? And 
I I heard the words I loved it come out of my mouth. Mm. And I realized like, oh, I I did have trouble with it. Like there was a lot of things I had trouble with, but in the in the end I think I loved it. And I mean it was like it was like I was pouring salt in the wound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should have nuanced. I should have nuanced but I will say there was a lot that I did love about it. I mean, I Absolutely. think in, in retrospect, Absolutely. I can see a lot. I would have, man, I would have done a few, a few things very differently than what they did. But there was just so much I loved about it, and and I and I really feel something of a divided mind about this, uh, about about season eight in particular. I don't know. It's it's hard not to think if I had not been watching with a second screen or if I had not been watching while I was also listening to podcasts or if I had not been watching watching while I was also looking at social media, I wouldn't have nearly the amount of nits to pick about that show mm-hmm. that I ultimately did. And yet there's part of me that thinks, but that actually, all of those things also enhanced my enjoyment of certain parts yeah. of the show, right? I mean, you think back you know happy days or i don't know i'm trying to think of an earlier show (laughs) that we all fell in love with mash Uh you know i don't Uh know had had nitpicking social media around it it would have been a whole different experience of the show and maybe maybe not as good yeah yeah there's no there's no question about that so Mm -hmm. i feel like my and i don't know if you if you remember but wait hold on hold on though yeah yeah i think even if if there was no social media around Game of Thrones, a lot of people would have been shocked by what Daenerys did in a way where they did not agree with the show going in that direction, mm. even without the social media. I think they would have been hurt by that. Mm. That's my gut feeling about it. I'm not saying I was, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying I think a lot of people would have. No, I think you're you're right about that. And for me, I kind of saw Daenerys turning... At some point. Yeah. I mean, for me, that was the question. Like, yeah. which way would that Targaryen coin flip land uh-huh. for Daenerys? That was the question, right? So right. you had to, if you're going to ask the question, you got to be ready that the answer might not be what you right. like. Right. Yeah, for me, it was always, I always kind of thought, no, this she's a Targaryen. History repeats itself. There is going, that's what, that's one of the things that these stories do. It, mm-hmm. it tells you a story from 20 years ago. And and then the consequences of that story are going to play out twenty years from now. Um, I thought she's a Targaryen. She's trying to conquer with dragons. This is going to go badly. <laughs> it's amazing that everyone has fallen in love with this character, who I'm pretty sure is going to be the villain in the end. Right? That's interesting. And see, and yeah, I hear, I listened to your uh, most recent episode, part of it anyway. Uh-huh. Um, you guys were talking about whether uh, the casting of uh, what's her name, Emily? Oh, Emile uh, uh, Clark. Uh, yeah, 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 Emile Clark, and um, maybe she was too charming for the part. <laughs> but I, but I think it was great because the show gave us like you always ask. You think about tyrants in history. How could they have had such a passionate and loyal following uh-huh. when they're such a horrible person? We got the emotional experience of that. So yeah. I think that was brilliant, you know? You, I mean, people were so on her side, most people, mm-hmm. and wanting her to succeed. And But the seeds were always planted of what was going to happen. Right. She was going to kill with fire and blood and burn cities to the ground from season one. 
Well, that's right. You know, Martin can play with this sort of thing, and, and he kind of shows that he does this throughout. He'll create a villain like Theon, right? Hmm. Just villainous villainy coming out of this yeah. guy. Douche. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden he'll give you, like something tur- will turn, and you'll start to feel empathy for a person that you never thought you'd feel empathy for, right? Love that. Or Jamie Lannister. Jamie mm-hmm. Lannister, like first episode, this guy tried to murder a child, <laughs> right? To keep a secret. So that he could go sleep with his sister. Yes, that's right. Yeah, (laughs) he has. He looks. He just looks like a bad guy. He is a bad guy. Everything I know about storytelling is that this is your bad guy, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And within what four or five episodes, I've I'm really interested in this guy, and within four or five seasons, I've fallen in love with him. It's a really amazing trick. I love it. Yeah, and so it's kind of. You know, I don't. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't think that we should have been so surprised that Emil Clark could turn into the bad guy at some point. Um, but I, so I wonder a little bit, like, would it have been possible to have her do what she did, but in the end, sort of recapture the empathy that we had in the beginning? I think that it would have required maybe another season. And they were certain they just were not willing to do that, right? I, 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 even to get to that point, like even though she laid, even though I, I do believe all the seeds were laid for that, just the fact that she had succeeded in her mission and then chose to go around and burn the inhabitants of King's Landing, really, you really needed to, like, I, I, I always think the perfect ending for anything is surprising in the moment, but then feels inevitable once you think about it. Mm-hmm. That's just the great kind of ending. And to me, it was surprising, but I don't Which, think it let's quite... Be, let's be honest. Can you imagine how difficult that kind of thing is when you have the number of viewers that Game of Thrones had? Yeah. Millions. Yes. I, I, I just think they if they had taken more time to get her to that i mean i know they wanted it to be a surprise so it's very tricky but they did you know they had her talking about how you need to either rule by love or by fear Mm -hmm. and then in another scene saying um the people of king's landing don't love me and she was frustrated by that and Mm -hmm. so i think that's kind of what was at the core of why she did that Mm -hmm. to rule by fear over these people who don't love her and yet still it felt like what why is she doing that instead of (laughs) oh wow she really did it you know and if you they could have had her the audience have more of that feeling like oh my god okay she actually did it Mm -hmm. versus what the fuck then um i think it would have been better somehow i don't know how to do that i'm not a writer but (laughs) right no and i think that i mean jamie is a great example of this because it's like Okay, so what you know, the, the guiding motivation for Jamie is well, I guess you could say it's two. It's like to be the 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 best artist with the sword who ever lived, right? Mm-hmm. But to be devoted, faithful, and in love with Cersei, right? Right. And in both of those ways, I don't think they ever betrayed his character. So even no. if he started doing things driven by those motives that made him seem heroic at times they were still true to the motives of that character. 
that's another storyline that I think a lot of people were dissatisfied with that he went back to Cersei mm-hmm. and I thought it was great because yeah. I mean it's the kind of mistake that you people make with Game of Thrones starting with Ned Stark you try to plug them into the typical yeah. heroic arc and it felt like okay he's uh, Jamie's overcome his flaws and has become this shining knight but no he's a human being who's in love with his person and that's more important than anything to him and he stayed yeah. true to that in the end even though uh-huh. we all hate her and wish he'd stay sure. with Brian, who's awesome <laughs> <laughs> so i don't you know. know if you can kind of compartmentalize your experience of that decade of game of thrones but for me i kind of feel like there was that kind of the aha moment of game of thrones like i didn't have the experience of reading the books before i watched the show and so that first episode for me just felt like it felt like a revelation it just felt like i can't believe i get to watch this (laughs) and then it became sort of this online sensation and you know which included podcasts and reddit and all of these things for me that sort of bespoke seasons two to five okay and then and and right now on this podcast we're sort of doing a rewatch of season six right now and i Mm. felt like season six it kind of ascended to a new level like i'd be at the giants game and like hunter pence would walk his walk-up music was game of thrones (laughs) Mm -hmm. it was everywhere yeah it was at a time culturally where if you weren't watching it most likely it was an obstinate choice like yeah, I'm if not you gonna... weren't watching it you were <laughs> sort of left out of a number of conversations yeah right and it, it kind of became at that point it became something that a very very few shows have ever ascended to right it's sort of at mm-hmm. the, the peak of its power the show. I would say yeah. it was the show right mm-hmm. and it would be th- it would be something like you know in the same way that men of my age will often refer to lines from the godfather or star wars or something like that Mm -hmm. it became one of these things where people would start comparing themselves or claiming characters she's you know she's my character that kind of thing (laughs) um or you know wearing t-shirts i drink and no thing It, it just became this massive cultural phenomenon i mean right now i'm drinking house baratheon royal loch nagar <laughs> that's, that's awesome <laughs> all right so then the inexplicably the show just took a different tone and so i think i think some of the pacing issue that you mentioned before the season seven and eight mm-hmm. um i think that it started to feel different it started to feel like a rush to the end. Uh, it, it, in fact, even the even the episodes started to to be different. Like the seasons were yeah. a different length, and the episodes were a little bit longer. And it felt too. I mean, even in some ways, going back to season five. Although sometimes I wonder if I noticed that more just because that's when I started doing episodic podcasting, but less sophisticated and a little more, um, a little ham-fisted sometimes in in the storytelling like a lot of emotional setups that were there clearly just for some payoff and so i found yeah what do you have in mind like what would be an example of of one of those of something that 
like in season five, you have Shireen and Stannis Baratheon at Castle Black, and he's mostly treated her like dirt throughout the rest of the show. But they have this really touching scene where she asks if he's ashamed of her. And he says he tells her the story of how everyone told him to send her off to the stone, live Uh out the rest of her days with the stone men. But no, he hired experts to come and try to cure her and arrest the spread of grayscale because you're the princess and you're my daughter. It was such a moving moment. And, and they hugged and I was full of tears. And then when he then chose to have her burned at the stake a few episodes later, I felt like, wait, I think that moment was just in service of this moment versus, and I, maybe I'm being picky, mm. but it just felt kind of emotionally manipulative right. to me. And things like that happen in TV all the time, but maybe I'm maybe I'm missing it. I need to go uh-huh. back and do a rewatch myself, but it felt like Game of Thrones was more sophisticated than that early on. I don't know. That's <laughs> funny. I was just rewatching Hard Home um, yeah. the other day, and there's this moment where this wildling woman who we just met that episode is like trying to get people out to the ships and away from the, the oncoming zombie apocalypse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she says goodbye to her children. And she says, I'll be right back. And immediately I thought, of course you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> this is how, this is the way it goes in television shows. Mm-hmm. If, if there's right. someone that you care about and you, you know, you need to sort of create a sense of empathy for that person. You're going to send their children away and have the person say, I'll be right back. And I kind of felt like, of course, that's exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. For, but for some reason, that worked for me in that episode. And maybe the whole series is full of that, but I uh-huh. don't think so. I think it started happening more as they started get getting past the books and needed to sort of rely on their own devices interesting i think um so yeah no that's that's good so for you the show must have taken a taken on a huge shift at season five because that's when you started covering it right it did and (laughs) i mean we we did occasional episodes uh, talking about a a full season you know Mm -hmm. so we were already into it but then we're like hey let's just do a full one podcast where we cover every episode and then i felt like wow season five seems especially hard to talk about Mm -hmm. and i think i put my foot in my mouth a couple times because of the sensitive subject matter you know (laughs) it was rough of course (laughs) no it, it absolutely that season was rough um and i do feel like there was a certain so you jumped in the podcasting right then i was still sort of i was able to still sort of just let it wash over me and experience Mm -hmm. it um but then you also jumped into the controversy because that was yeah the show got controversial in a way that it hadn't been around season five yeah i would say definitely which probably doesn't hurt for a podcaster, but then you got to be super careful about it. Yeah, I mean, the way in particular that we talked about, uh, you know, Sansa's quote unquote wedding night mm-hmm. with Ramsay was clumsy, to put it kindly. And so then in the next episode, I made sure that we asked two women to host that one, and I came on and apologized for my clumsiness and mm-hmm. had them take over you know and um and it, credit it, it, to you 
I mean, credit uh, really credit to you for recognizing it and then getting out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thank you. Because a lot I, of people I, would double down on that, right? Exactly. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I didn't want to do that. I want I want to be sensitive, and I, I I'm grateful for the feedback from our listeners and everything. And and I've totally grown from being a podcaster. You know, I think being a podcaster will show you your flaws <laughs> as a mm-hmm. person, especially if you have a lot of engagement with your audience, which I love to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think it was fascinating to talk about that. But it was also it was hard to not just that moment either. Just season five was hard in particular. But on the other hand, I think one of the best things about game of thrones is how nasty a show it can be well it's it's true and uh you know the showrunners made a few mistakes specifically around rape that yeah that i that i i would never liked but i will say this that um that the show the show was able to bring us to moments glimmers of hope in a way because the default position was so dark to begin with, right? So we really so for instance, we really did rejoice with the heroism of Arya. Yeah. That was done at the expense of a horrible things happening to Arya throughout, right? Mm-hmm. We watched her go from, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire over and over and over again and tragically become a, you know, a super assassin. You know, we, mm-hmm. we, this is not something to celebrate in a little girl yeah. at all, but right. it's for our entertainment. And we kind of reveled in both the laments and and the victories in her story. And she became, you know, a lot of people's favorite character, mm-hmm. uh, my favorite character for, for sure. Mm-hmm. And the only way to the only way that that story works is if the darkness around her is believable. And that's something that set this show for me set this show apart. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what elevates this show above the kind of show where you expect the hero to only grow in a positive direction and be Mm -hmm. a shining knight at the end, because this show is more about human truth in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. I think. And that's what I love about a good story is when it gets at human truth. And there's, there's vanity and there's greed and there's, uh, stupidity and all kinds of things about humans that cause conflict that happen Mm -hmm. in this show that feel like they're based in some root of truth about the way people can be right and you know loosely a recasting of a few moments in human history Mm -hmm. you know even if the outcomes are fantastic um, the premises yeah. are are borrowed. You know, the premise George was constantly borrowing premises, and that was kind of the point, right? Like him being like, "I'm a student of history, and this is how it usually goes." <laughs> hey, I want to ask you. Like, I don't know if you've thought about what made the show special in your mind. I mean, I guess you could. You don't have to be super reflective. You could say yeah, it was the right show at the right time, and uh, you know, it, it broke some ground in a number of ways. Or I don't know if there if there's anything specific about it when you think back to it and be like, this is what made that show special. Well, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, um, you know, just how cruel the show could be. But having really the Starks at its heart, who are these good people that we were rooting for, 
the whole time and trying to navigate their way through it. You know, Sansa and Arya and John and Ned at first, Rob, and some of them failing. But I mean, if they had all died, then it probably wouldn't have been too much. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so some of them made it through. And so just having that that good heart, that good core, but but having the kind of things like so awful what happened to Shireen bur- being burned, mm-hmm. Gregor Clegane gouging Oberon's eyes out. Um, I mean, starting with with uh, Bran, what happened to him with and Jamie in the first episode, and then Ned. I mean, what happened to Ned really just was like, okay, this is not like other shows. Yeah. It's not what I thought. And then Arya feeding Walder Frey to his his own family <laughs> in a pie. I mean, that was a joyous <laughs> moment, but it's dark as hell. Yeah. And, you know, Danny at King's Landing. I mean, it's so dark and, and cruel and and I, I, the nasty is the word that I call it, just a nasty kind of a show mm-hmm. that somehow was so freaking captivating. <laughs> that was part of it. That's not the only thing. I mean, yeah. also there's there's the spectacle of it that just got more and more amazing over the years with Miguel Sapochnik directing right. these amazing episodes. Just some of the best TV ever shown, I would say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I almost, I think almost if you were going to rewind even like 15 years before the show started. So instead of 2010, let's say it was 95 or something. Mm-hmm. You absolutely wouldn't have the special effects, I don't think. Right. Mm-mm. And you didn't even have it in the early seasons. Sure. <laughs> right. And then if you were to fast forward even 10 years or so, I feel like the internet took a turn just in the last 10 years that makes it really hard to have a show with that you know sort of a universally loved show i don't know do you think that you think that much has changed or maybe i've just changed no i've often felt like maybe game of thrones is the last like unifying show you know and even game of thrones i mean if you look at the numbers mash what had like 50 million people or something watching the finale and game of thrones was what it was around 17 million or something. And that was even a low number because just think of the amount of people that were, you know, watching the show illegally or borrowing a friend's. Yeah. It's just the, there, I I don't know. Part of it is just as simple as there are so many more shows now that, Mm. and, and, and and it's the culture, the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're getting at is the internet has kind of fractured the culture. We've all found our bubbles. And so it's hard, harder for us to all come together on any single thing. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to make too hard of a case on this, but I do think that there was yeah. something about the moment in time for, yeah. for game of Thrones that made it a perfect show for that particular time. Yeah. And yeah, I don't I know agree. exactly the elements that went into it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was a it was a kick-ass show that came along when we were all still watching HBO. You know, like <laughs> when we could all still. I mean, it's not that simple, but there is something to it. Just that there's there's twice as many shows now that there were when um, right. Game of Thrones premiered in 2011, and it's only growing. 
so it's harder. And and I swear, almost every single day, I hear about a new show that I'd never heard about before, and often they're in like their third season or something. <laughs> yeah, what? Right. Kevin Costner? I mean, Yellowstone's getting big now, but I remember when yeah. I first heard about that. It was on season three. I was like, what? And uh, uh-huh. it's crazy. Like, you can't, like, TV critics, they can't even, there's not enough time for them to cover all uh-huh. the shows anymore. So that's part of it. Yeah, I was thinking about a couple things that sort of, make it stand out for me and i think part of it let me, let me just give you an ex- example here so aaron and jim were doing this really sort of heavy cover uh coverage of the expanse mm-hmm. um which was a great show i haven't seen it i should watch it yeah see there you go it. yeah. it's a it's a really great show <laughs> um and yet I think that they would often say something like it's it's sort of like Game of Thrones in space, right? Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew what they meant when they said that, and yet I thought, you know what makes for me what makes it different is like Tywin Lannister. It's like Tywin Lannister for my money might be the most compelling villain I've ever seen on any screen. Hmm. And I, you know, up up with, you know, Hal, up with <laughs> Darth Vader, mm-hmm. up with, you know, you could just, you know, you could name a few, Hannibal Lecter, whatever. Tywin Lannister was just such a compelling villain and so intricately connected with Tyrion, who's one of the most complex characters I've ever seen on a screen. Mm-hmm. And you know, connected with Cersei and connected with Jamie and all of that business. And if you think about it, if you were going to name like the top 10, like the main characters, Tywin may not even be on the top 10 list. <laughs> you know, you'd have to go through like the Stark children and you talk about Sean Bean and you talk about Emil Clark, mm-hmm. you talk about, you know, Tyrion Lannister. And by the time you got to Tywin Lannister, you're like, oh yeah, also Charles Dance was in this. and they did so many things with like that where it's like this character is absolutely a b-plot character and he is just as amazing as any i was just re-listening to the sort of the jason momoa speech yeah like jason momoa jason momoa didn't even make it through the end of season one jason momoa was amazing in this so i guess i'm making a, a kind of a simple point it's just that the secondary actors in Game of Thrones were among the best I've ever seen on television. Oh, yeah. Pedro Pascal is one that stands out for me. So Yes, absolutely, yes. Yeah, so many great characters with with great actors behind them, for sure. So if it was just about, like, the shocking moments. Incredible. You know, if it was just about Ned's beheading or the Red Wedding or whatever, um, you know, that those are things that actually will bring eyeballs. Yeah. But in order to bring the plot to life, you absolutely need a character like Tywin Lannister or a character like Lady Elena, you know, a character like that where you just feel like every time that they're on the screen, you can't take your eyes off that person. Yeah, absolutely. And the writing is incredible. And, you know, it goes back to what I'm saying about human truths that a part of the reason why these characters are so captivating is because they feel real mm. and they feel complicated. Like you can root for them at times and other times they're despicable, you know? <laughs> I mean, even, even Joffrey, you might feel sorry for him 
at times. I mean, not much, but you know, you can <laughs> at least recognize some of your pettiest impulses taken to the extreme in what he does. Like, uh, it just well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about vil- heroes and villains, right? So, think about Tyrion's character arc. Tyrion Lannister yeah. kills Shay. He murders Shay. He strangles his lover. <laughs> And two two episodes later, we're like rooting for Tyrion again. It's 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 <laughs> yeah. it it just. I almost feel. I'll be honest. I was saying it just now. I feel yeah. a little bit guilty about it. I, right. I, I do. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, most of the characters did something like that. Not quite that bad, but sure. I think everyone did something that that you wouldn't approve of necessarily. You know. Right. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So, all right. So I was, I was just wondering if you'd be interested in doing a little anticipating house of the dragon talk with me. Sure. Yeah. Are you planning on covering the show? We will be covering it as a network. I think that I will be guesting on an episode here and there, but I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be covering it regularly. Okay. All right. Does that, would that, do you think that that will enhance your experience or, do you feel like, you, like, do you have, certainly there's less pressure in the viewing experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Actually, um, this is, yeah, it was, I, I kind of just have been going on impulse while planning how we're going to tackle that and haven't really thought too much of why, but now that you're asking me, um, I think it was, I really, uh, it sounds, I don't know, um, <laughs> like self-important or something. I don't know, but to podcast on game of thrones is quite an endeavor and it takes a lot of work to do it justice. Mm. And it's, it's an emotional experience and I just feel like I want to be able to more sit back and appreciate it. Hmm. Yeah. Some, yeah. Well, certainly, certainly. So I, I would, I would hope that for everyone listening too. So I've come up with a couple bits of advice, a travel guide, if you will, the three key steps on how to appreciate house of the dragon excellent and i, w- I want to run this past you and i want to hear your reaction and uh push back if you need to or add things that occur to you as i'm giving you my tourist book <laughs> okay all right <laughs> so think of me as a docent for the next five minutes excellent okay here is my advice. If you are listening and you would like to enjoy House of the Dragon, my first bit of advice is that you should not expect the show to be the best show you've ever seen. I think that's yeah. reasonable, right? I mean, for me, that is a key mindset to go into anything because I've learned that my expectations can completely color how I'm going to find something. If I've heard, like with Eternals, for example, it got a lot of middling reviews Mm -hmm. and I liked it. But if it had been hyped up, I probably wouldn't have liked it. (laughs) So it's almost like a little bit like, oh, wow, really? That's how much it influences you. But yeah, I couldn't agree with you more if you just kind of don't have your expectations up too high. If your expectation for anything is, unless this is the best thing I've ever experienced, I'm going to be disappointed. It's a failure. It's there's no, it has no chance of succeeding, right? Yeah, but on, uh, having said all that, with Miguel Sapochnik at the helm, uh-huh. I can't help 
but be excited for the spectacle that we're going to have. <laughs> I just can't help it. Of course, of course. And I mean, and look, Game of Thrones is my favorite show. It's it's one of the best shows that's ever been on television by any by any standard. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that I should walk into House of the Dragon expecting that it should elevate to those heights. For instance, I could kind of almost prophesy this. That someone will come away, or let's say five million people will come away and say, I liked it. You know, it's not as good as Game of Thrones season four, you know. <laughs> right. Which to me, I feel like this is a non-statement. Don't what you know? It's like it's like coming out of a concert and saying, "You know what? It's fine." He's no Mozart. It's like, come on, <laughs> we have yeah. to have a different standard for this sort of thing. So yeah, so that that's my advice. I'm not saying mm-hmm. having low expectations, Jason. I'm saying don't expect it to be the best thing you've ever seen. Right, so that's yeah. that's advice number one. Good. So we're we're on the same page. We, we like we like that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. I wouldn't suggest anything else uh-huh. other than what you said for sure. Okay. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. Exactly. Otherwise, yeah. Okay. All right. This is going to be a harder one. All right. So here. And then if it is the greatest thing ever, we'll be. Then really you're happy. happily surprised, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's my second bit of advice, and maybe this is more controversial. I would recommend take cocaine before you watch. It. <laughs> <laughs> yes. At least a gummy, just just one right, gummy. Right. Maybe not a bad idea. <laughs> um, I hear my my second bit of advice is that if you want to enjoy it, you probably should stay off social media. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, like for me, if I sit down and enjoy an episode. I want to put away my phone. I just want to watch the episode. And maybe don't check Reddit that night. You know, maybe mm-hmm. don't. Maybe let don't. Let it settle. Yes. Let it settle. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it. Let it, you know, it's it's like it's like tasting the soup too early, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like let the soup do what the soup needs to do. If if you immediately jump online, I guarantee you, there's you're gonna find a hundred people that that found things to hate about the episode. Yeah, this you're reminding me of an experience I had recently because another show that we cover is Lock and Key on Netflix. Oh, okay. And um, we, since Netflix puts out all its episodes at once for a season, right? But we're covering it weekly. We don't look at any social media or news or anything because we don't want to be spoiled. Mm. And so we had our own experience of that show and we liked it a lot. And then I went back and read a lot of complaints that I had missed during the watching, you know, Mm -hmm. and it started to make, oh, yeah, they're right about some of that stuff. But um, I got to have the experience of appreciating the show before it was tainted with all of that, you know, on my own terms. It was just for me during that time and i think i liked it more even though i did eventually read the complaints because of that experience i liked it more than i would have otherwise right 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 Mm -hmm. all right my third bit of advice and then we will wrap up here Mm. my third bit of advice is and i this is the same advice that i would give to someone that's like visiting paris for the first time or visiting some historic city for the first time is that don't experience the guidebook 
Like you're gonna they're gonna be people anticipating the next week and they're gonna tell you what you're going to experience just by guessing or because that they mm-hmm. read the book or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's not how you experience Paris. You don't go to Paris thinking, all right, now this is how the guidebook told me to feel about the Mona Lisa. No, the the guidebook might help you get to the museum, but once you're at the museum, put the guidebook away. Try to use the guidebook as little as possible. Don't try to anticipate your experience by measuring what other people are saying. That That is my... And that could be like stay away from the source material or stay away from spoilers or whatever, uh, which, you know, a lot of people try to do anyway. But I guess what I'm saying is more than that. What I'm saying is just because someone else feels a particular way or, or other people anticipate that you might feel a particular way, it shouldn't determine your experience. That's my third bit of advice. So the guidebook ends on the advice of ignoring guidebooks yes during the watching of the show um yeah i can see that i mean as a podcaster i've it's funny i've actually um <laughs> with with jim and aaron you know we both podcast on the walking dead yeah and they come uh, like jim's come to me and be like how can you stand up for this it's crap <laughs> at certain to- points, right? Like you're not doing your job, Jason. And I'm like, I think we come at it a little differently sometimes. Like uh-huh. my, you, I try what I try to do. Our our sort of you know mission is to enhance the experience yeah, yeah, yeah. of this thing that we're all that we're all fans of. Whereas I think more Jim and Aaron sometimes are critics, you know, and that's cool. Like people people love that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but it's different, and so. Um, I, I imagine with House of the Dragon, we are we, we will be pointing out some things that maybe we don't like so much, but for the most part, we'll just be celebrating it, you know, and trying to enhance it. And so I think that can be really fun for Absolutely. people. But at the same time, it can shape their opinion in a way that it may mm-hmm. not have been shaped before. And right. that's also, I think, what you're getting at, too, to well, have the experience for yourself, right? Absolutely, that's right. And I think I, I do really appreciate podcasts that will not just be cheerleaders for the show, right? Yeah. And I think sometimes you need to say, yeah, that didn't work for me or whatever. But, um, like, for instance, I do this other podcast with a, a, a comic friend of mine who lives actually lives in your area. You could go see him at the Punchline in San Francisco if ever you were interested. His name is Steve Osborne, and we do this uh, show, Cocoons of Horror. And mm. oftentimes we will cover a really bad movie. Like we will, we'll like look at Pet Cemetery, <laughs> and it's just a different kind of experience. And for me, it's no less fun. I'm not angry necessarily. Yeah. I'm not angry. I just it's a different way to to approach it. And I kind of feel like it requires just a little bit more detachment. I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like? You you might enjoy House of the Dragon more if you're a little bit less attached. Yeah, I am less attached. By the way, I I haven't read the books, Game of Thrones, the Song of Ice and Fire, or Fire and Blood, and um, I'm a huge fan of the show, but I'm not a super fan. Like, 
I wouldn't put it at the top of my list like it is of yours. It's in the top five. Okay, though. good. So, so no, that that's that's great to hear that. So, I mean, but high, top five is pretty high. It is high. It is high. Maybe top ten, but yeah, top ten for sure. But uh-huh. maybe top five. Yeah, it is high still. But um, I don't know. I I guess House of the Dragon. I don't feel as strongly about. I'm definitely intrigued. I'm uh, I'm pulling for it to do really well matt smith is a favorite of mine as are a few of the other actors i think they picked the right showrunners hopefully um Uh but i don't know i feel like i had the game of thrones experience so i'm not clamoring for more Mm -hmm. i'm i'm interested but i'm not like like i said i'm not going to be podcasting on it episode by episode so i think it'll be easy to appreciate if it's good i'm not like um really really super wrapped up in it you know, I feel the, the same way about um, the the Rings of Power thing that's going to be coming out. Yeah, like I feel like like for me, Lord of the Rings is sort of top five book uh, mm-hmm. series in in my experience. I'm absolutely less invested in Rings of Power. I know what I'm getting into. This was not written by the greatest fantasy author in the history of fantasy authors. This is an Amazon <laughs> Prime show. Mm-hmm. And I'm based on some back matter. I'm absolutely going to enjoy it. I'm not, but my expectations are are a little bit lower, and I'm a little bit more detached to the material. Right, and I think it will absolutely enhance my experience. I get the feeling that those three points that you gave are things that you've been telling yourself about House of the Dragon. It's exactly, right. <laughs> <laughs> and I will continue to tell myself that over and over and over. And when I get too invested and I cry myself to sleep. I will I will tell myself the same things over. And You'll over. post on Reddit and then go to sleep. <laughs> How do you feel about the Oscars as sort of a an institution? Uh, I probably feel the same way about the Oscars as I do golf. Tell, tell me more. Um, when when pressed, I will probably uh, partake, but ultimately, I think it's sin. Mm. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that angle. <laughs> you you got theological on me, and I, I was not prepared for it. Uh, so I feel somewhat similar in that it's sort of a guilty pleasure. I know it doesn't really mean a lot. You could just look back on history and see many, many, many really great films that were completely overlooked and... At the same time, every now and again, you're going to get a Shakespeare in love. And that's just right. what's going to happen. But I like to find out where to find good movies. And so I like I at least like to see who's nominated for these movies. See, I think the Oscars could be improved if it was it was a rolling winner, right? Mm. Like, so, like, the first best picture continues, right, until it gets knocked sure. off. And then, like, you can add more. Like, every year you can add more, right? So you can't have, like... You can't bring back Empire Strikes Back versus, you know, you know, take your pick. But, um, but like, you know, it wins the year, but like it has to still beat the, the one before. I like it. I like it a lot. So uh, this year, as we prep for the Oscars, I realized yesterday that I had seen eight out of the ten nominees. And I wondered how many you had seen. And you told me you had seen two. Right. So which two are those? Uh, Dune and Nightmare Alley. And the only reason you saw Nightmare Alley is because we covered it. On uh, yeah, because you you goaded me into it. I did. I was I was luring you into Carnival Life. 
and it's easier than you think. <laughs> so I thought it would it might be fun for me to come up with a list of recommendations for you. Okay. So what I've done is I've put together a list of this year's Oscar nominees. And the order of the list is basically the movies that I think you will like least to the, you know, the final one we'll mention is what the film I think that you'll like most. Okay. And let's just see how this goes. And since I've only seen two of them, I mean, am I going to say you're right? <laughs> like if you pick one and I haven't seen it and I'm like, yeah, I nailed it. Like, I mean, or, or do you want me to go and watch no, these? You do whatever you want. You can, you could take, okay. that was my intent. You could take this however you want. All right. So let me just start out by saying that I have not seen West Side Story and I have not seen Drive My Car. Okay. So I'm just not going to touch those. We're just going to set those aside for now. And then I'm going to start with number eight. This is a movie that I really liked. In fact, I think I cried multiple times watching this movie, but I think that you will like least. It's just interesting because if memory serves, you've cried four times ever. I only cried during movies and and intercourse. <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a movie called Coda, and it's directed by Sean Hader. And in my book, it is a properly Howard movie. Okay. And so I, th I don't think that you would think that this is a bad movie. I just think that in comparison to the rest of the films on this list, I just think that you might enjoy this the least. Okay. Do you like crying during it? Did you enjoy crying? No, I never enjoy crying. I mean, it, it gave me sort of parental feels. Okay. Like as a father who's about to, you know, see my daughter leave the house and go to college. I had a lot of feelings about this movie. Okay. So I have a comp here. And I don't know if you've seen the comp. It's Lady Bird. Did you ever see Lady Bird? No, I mean I'm familiar with it. But oh, I, I loved Lady Bird. Loved okay. it. So you're saying, so you're saying in this Oscar uh, selection, you're saying I should go see Lady Bird? No, again, this is a comp. I don't know if you'll like Lady Bird. Okay. Uh, but for people who are sort of interested, not necessarily the themes of the film, but just the tone of the film, I thought Lady Bird was a little bit of a comp. Also, I don't know. Did you ever see Garden State? Yes. Did you like Garden yeah. State? Okay. As far as the tone of the film, I felt like there was a little bit of Garden State in Coda. Mm. Number seven. This is a movie called Belfast. What is your feeling, Steve, about Kenneth Branagh? <sighs> I, I don't think I'm a big fan. No? Tell me what you think of when know. you I think of Kenneth Branagh. Because he's done a wide variety of stuff. Yeah, and I think I think my uh, I think my engagement with his work is pretty limited. I think I was just turned off to him when he was like kind of first jumping onto the scene back in like what late eighties, early nineties. I just he just rubbed me the mm -hmm. wrong way. Sure, um, and uh, <laughs> I mean, 
Look, and I don't, and it's not like anybody thought it was great, but man, Frankenstein is bad. Yeah, well, and we may have to cover Frankenstein. We have to cover it because you and I saw it in the theater <laughs> when it first came I think out. That folks of a certain age will recognize Kenneth Branagh for his role in Harry Potter. Um, but he's a Shakespearean right. actor. He has brought a bit of Shakespeare to the screen, and he's also played bad guys in films. Like I, I saw a film the other day, or I think if you saw Tenet, did you ever see Tenet? No. He's a, he's like a bad Russian in Tenet. Okay. Uh, and that was a, sort of a departure for him. But Belfast is not like any of those movies. The comp I have for Belfast is the movie Roma. Did you ever see Roma? No. Mm-hmm. See? This is going really well. <laughs> no, well, this is my point. If you did if you weren't interested in seeing Roma, you might not be interested in seeing Belfast. Okay. That's my point. <laughs> Welcome to Steve doesn't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah, I've got another comp. Uh Billy Elliot. Did you ever see Billy Elliot? I believe I saw Billy Elliot. Okay, so it in tone, not necessarily the themes of the movie, but in tone, Belfast has a little bit of the Billy Elliot vibe. Uh, Next, uh, Steve, uh, King Richard. Uh, Are you familiar with King Richard? Um, (laughs) For Game of Thrones fans, you're going (laughs) to... You'll be a little surprised. You're going to be a little bit surprised. (laughs) Yeah, this is the Will Smith, right? Will Smith playing the father of Serena and Venus Williams. Yeah, this this one intrigues me. I liked it a lot. I did cry in this film as well, but it was because I was also having sex. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I know. There's one thing I know about you. If, if, it's, if Will Smith is on the television, it's go time. <laughs> the, the, the long-running sitcom uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air did wonders for uh, Anthony's uh, early relationship. After watching this, I thought, oh, I wonder if Will Smith is going to win. Because he was he was that good in this movie. Okay. Um, I think you might like this film. It's you know it's six on the list, and the director is Ronaldo Marcus Green, and the comps I have for this film are Moneyball and Hustle and Flow. Okay. Did you see either Moneyball or Hustle and Flow? No. <laughs> But I'm aware of them. All right, I need I need a break. I'm aware of them. <laughs> this is not working. Give, give me a second. Give me a second here. I'm gonna gonna go re- rewrite the outline. <laughs> Anthony's going back. Have you have you seen Big Trouble in Little China? I just need you to say yes. <laughs> I need to pause here. You've never seen Moneyball. I know. Seems like something I should have seen. Seems like something I would like. I think you would like it. Um, and yes, I know that we've talked about that. I've been watching lots of Love Boat, and that would <laughs> you would. So for me to say I don't have the time would would not be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit better with this next one. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. It's not surprising. Let me just say this: it's not surprising that the ones on the lower on my list have comps that movies of movies that maybe you haven't seen. 
But Moneyball yeah. is is one that is has has perpetually been on my list, and it's just you oh. know one of those things where it gets away from you, right? Oh, I don't, I've seen it like five times. I, I don't see how this gets away from anything. See, for for me, I think I, I think Moneyball is probably the same. I think I have the same relationship with it as I did the founder. Like I just uh-huh. made time to watch the f- founder, and I think there was this feeling I think from Heather. And you enjoyed the founder. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. And so, and Heather liked it quite a bit, but I think it's one of those ones where, you know, if I'm trying to sell a movie, like, Hey, it's, it's in the evening and we're on the couch and it's like, Hey, how about this? What's it about? And "Ah, it's about the guy who, you know, kind of set the stage for McDonald's. She's like, like, (laughs) I really, it's a, one of those, let's give it, like, I have to do that. Let's give it 15 minutes and see how Mm -hmm. we feel kind of thing. Right. So I think my son, so I didn't tell my son the title of this one. I said, we're going to watch a movie. What's it called? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> because I knew as soon as I said King Richard, he'd be out. Right, right. Um, okay, next one, Nightmare Alley. Oh, I've seen this. <laughs> yeah, I know you have. <laughs> this is a Guillermo del Toro joint, and if you're interested in our full coverage of that, you can search that on the cocoons of horror feed um steve this is only number five on my list for my recommendation yes that i think that you would like but it's probably higher on your list yeah i think it's number three on my list okay so the comp for this i chose and you can see if this works was miller's crossing yeah that's pretty good i think that's pretty good that's pretty good comp Right, so it ha- because it has a little of that noir feel to it, same kind of time period. Unsettling, yeah. So, yeah, so this is number five on the list. So I think that this tells you that if you liked Nightmare Alley, it seemed to me you were kind of on the border of liking Nightmare Alley. Yeah, I think I liked it. I'm just, yeah. So the rest of these, I think that what I'm saying with the rest of these is that I think you'll like these better than that. Okay. So if I was going to recommend any of these movies, it'd probably be the next four. Okay. For Steve, not for everyone, but for, for Steve. Okay. Uh, number four is don't look up. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with Adam McKay, Steve? Um, I think, I don't know that it's a hundred percent, but I think I've, I've, you know, seen a good portion of what he's done. I, you correct me if I'm wrong here. I think he may be one of our best filmmakers. I, I I do like him, and I think he's maybe suffers from the fact that he started in comedy. I think he's sort of shedding that skin a little bit. I think I think he's earned those chops, and I think it's even caused some people to go back to some of the comedies to see if they're um, maybe there's something more to him. Right. For me, this is a Howard plus one film. What I'm saying here, I guess, is that I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it, but it, it, it was just a... I think that you will enjoy it more. Got it. And my comp here is Bullworth. Mm-hmm, okay. Do, have, you seen, have you seen Bullworth? I, yeah, I do have a relationship with Bullworth, yeah. It's not expensive. Well, how do you feel about... Bullworth, in many ways, for me, it sort of has that political theme, but it's also a satire. Right. And I think that some people are in on satire and some people are not in on satire. And I think sometimes satire can border on allegory. Right. 
and I'm not a huge fan of allegory, but I did like this movie. Are, now, let me ask you this. Do you intend to watch this movie? I do intend to watch this one. This one feels like one that we can all get on board with and be like, all right, we're watching this. Right. Which helps. Right. Sure. What's your favorite Adam McKay movie? Um, well, that's a good question. Um, there's, and this kind of goes into the, um, like the movies you, you watch a bunch versus the ones maybe uh, you respect, right? Right. Um, like, I, I feel like the uh, the other guys does a pretty good job of, of, I think that's the marriage of what Adam McKay is is capable of. Yeah, in, really in, funny movie. And just a fun, just a really fun action movie, but yeah, it's sort of and, a it's sort of a comedy disguised as an action movie, right? And then there's also there, there's a bit of a, a critique in there as well. And you're uh, a big Michael Keaton fan. Yeah, you got it. You got you have a lot of the ingredients I really like. Um, oh yeah, the critique is not it's not subtle. I mean, you don't find it until the very end. Right. Exactly. Um, but, but it's I, actually yeah. it's very political at the end. Yeah, and uh, and it and it does kind of a good job, I think, of, of bringing that all together. Um, I I did like The Big Short quite a bit, though. It's not one that I like watch a bunch, but um, I did like it. Yeah, I've seen it a number of times. I think it's a brilliant movie. I do think that Anchorman may be one of the best comedies ever made. Yeah, and that's and it's it's. Yeah, I mean, I think it's such a given too, right? I mean, it's like so. Uh, it's it's a pretty iconic comedy that I think also serves. I mean, it serves a satire too, right? I mean, yeah. I think oh yeah, his is he's making a, this is a commentary on the rise of news culture, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, so even though we could probably say the Big Short is maybe a more prestigious film, if you can make one of the best comedies of all time, then that. You know, that that's a that's going to be on a list for a next the next fifty years at least. It right. Seems to me. Yeah, I mean, and look, I mean, Talladega Nights is, I mean, quote, I mean, quotability of some of his work is pretty impressive. Step Brothers, Talladega Nights, Anchorman are probably, I mean, they're such a part of our, uh, you know, just every day. It's part of the zeitgeist in a way that you can't, you almost can't shed it, right? Uh, next one, number three, Power of the Dog. Hmm. You know, I like dogs. <laughs> I, I do know that you like dogs <laughs> so, you, so, so you you have my you, you have my attention uh would it all right i think you're i think that i need to turn down the volume on this movie we're gonna rewrite the list <laughs> we're gonna put it down to number eight right below coda because you will be disappointed at how few dogs there are in this movie. <laughs> right away, I, I missed the obvious here. Steve is going to expect dogs and get no dogs. Yeah. Where's the dogs? <laughs> um, this is a Howard plus two for me. I think it'll be higher for you. And the reason why, this is a Jane uh, Campion film, and the comp that I came up with was There Will Be Blood. No, baby. And I knew, I, I, re I reluctantly used it as a comp because I know it's one of your favorite films, and so I'm almost 
True. Inevitably, I'm setting you up to be disappointed with this movie. Well, you've already set it up with there's no dogs. <laughs> so we're already. And now, now the I movie was watch it. It doesn't a... matter at this point. At this point, you are absolutely not going to watch this film. I'm going to be looking for a movie called There Will Be Dogs. Not a lot of dogs, but some very menacing piano playing. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> to play the piano with menace. <laughs> it's a it's a lost skill. That's why they had to set this in the 1930s. Yeah. Exactly. No one can play the piano with menace anymore. Who's got the time? <laughs> Number two, Dune. Now, you have seen this, and I know I that you Dune. liked it. I like it a lot. I've got this as a Howard Plus Four, so I'm curious to hear what you think about this. Where would you rank this on the Howard scale? Yeah, I think I'm in the Power Plus Four range, too, or maybe even higher. I... I really like I mean every it it checks so many boxes right I mean just uh visually alone right I mean it is it's a, uh-huh. it's a gorgeous film to look at um I I really liked the pacing um and uh and the acting everything it just it's it's especially because like we we come from a dune is unfilmable um, yeah absolutely life. that's been our life right well and it's been proven it certainly has yeah. So, yeah, no, it's uh it's something. One, you didn't go into this one going, "Man, I just wish Sting was in it more," right? I mean. <laughs> now, I liked it. I I liked this so much that when I experienced it in the theater, I walked out thinking that was one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. Oh, I'd imagine. Yeah, we watched it at home. I mean, I watched we... it on the uh, the IMAX and it oh, was just wow, yeah. It was it was like I was consumed by the movie. So. Right. Yeah, we when we watched it, it was the first film we got with our new like the uh, 4K TV. We had a 4K TV, but it was one of those Black Friday deals, so it was not great, right? And so we upgraded our television and it's supposed to be like super bright and all this wonderful backlighting that and if we had watched it on our previous television it would not have worked. So it was really nice. So that was like our first view into like a really proper, you know, mm-hmm. 4K experience at home. And so it was kind mm-hmm. of like the perfect film to usher that in. So I think that also enhanced our appreciation of it. I did note that this film has no humor in it. Like, I, right. It's kind of a crazy movie if you think about the way movies are made these days. You know, you almost need every now and again a little release valve. Right. In this film, they it's, it takes itself so seriously. Normally, that's a recipe for disaster. Agreed. It works. It works anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's, you, just, there's no levity. No levity at all. I mean, there is a sort of the, the Duncan Idaho character who kind of... It's just... It, it's not what they're going for. They're, right. they're going for something else. If you had to come up with a comp for this movie, I had a really hard time thinking of a comp. Hmm. Yeah, because it's there's a lot of films I think that we've seen that have, you know, aspired to do this, um, and didn't pull it off, right? So that's kind of like I'm reaching for. I think what your your point is very well uh, made, where it's it's because there's it doesn't go so far into melodrama that it becomes cringy at all. There was part of me that uh, was thinking Interstellar because Mm. of just. The it, the space and the duration and the 
the feel of it. It's it almost feels at times it's uh, lit in the same way, takes itself right. serious in the same way. But I ultimately thought I don't think that that works because it just has. Well, you like Interstellar better than I did, though. I just felt like Dune had a lot less Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what was, was your sense of that? Did you feel like it had less Matthew McConaughey? Yeah, I don't. I feel like maybe it had more than you give it credit for. <laughs> Um, I think it would have worked better if he had narrated the whole thing and was crying for most of it. <laughs> the comp that I came up with uh, was Lawrence of Arabia. Mm, that's interesting. And I think it's because part of what struck me about the movie, what I mean, yeah, there is there is a sense of it. There is a sense of that, but it's part of what struck me about this movie was just it was so visually stunning, right. And in such a way that, in a way that could have really failed, because how do you make the desert that stunning? Um, but this is this just really felt like, uh, like I, I feel like I hadn't seen anything on the big screen in that way before. And I and I I never saw Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen, but I imagine that that's kind of what that experience would have been like. Yeah, I can see that. Number one, Steve, by process of elimination, number one is licorice pizza. Interesting. And recently we heard from a mutual friend that he did not like licorice pizza. Which made me immediately think I probably would really like it. (laughs) And this guy's one of his favorite movies is Magnolia. Which Uh, I don't like. Right. And both both are P.T. Anderson this one was definitely leans more toward the punch drunk love side of PTA, which is probably my second favorite PTA. What's your favorite PTA? No, there will be blood. Oh, there will be blood. Yeah, of course. Okay, but that is not my comp. Mm. My comp for this film is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ooh, <laughs> and. I don't think it's as good as that film. I have it. I have this as a Howard plus three, and I put probably would put Once Upon a Time much much higher. Um, the other comp I have for this is Almost Famous. Oh, did you ever see Almost Famous? I did. Did you like Almost Famous? I did. Okay, so this is a little bit like Almost Famous in that it's kind of a similar time period, mm-hmm. and the main character is kind of a. A young boy who acts older than he is. And it has kind of that comedic sense to it, even though it's, uh, I think it's more than a comedy. I think it's definitely more than a comedy, but it has enough comedy in it that it could work as a comedy. Yeah, this is one that's definitely on my uh, on my list. I just, it, I'm always intrigued uh, when PTA comes out with something anyway. Mm-hmm. Um and this one just had like it, it seemed like it had the ingredients of something I'd be because sometimes I mean like I think like <laughs> the master is probably one of the best movies I will never ever watch again. <laughs> and as to say I, I I consider it one of the best movies. I'm just like this movie is incredibly well done. The things that yeah. they're they're trying to convey they succeed. Yeah, and I I can don't I don't want to look at it again. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to, I barely want to talk about it. Uh-huh. Uh, but 
it's one of those things where I'm like, that was without a doubt an amazing film. And it was, I think, a filmmaker at the top of his craft. Please yeah. keep it away from me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even worried that I'm building you up for this. I think I think you're going to love it. I think you're going to love Licorice Pizza. Like when, when Sarah and I saw it, we both left wondering if the other person was going to like it. Interesting. Cared more about the other reaction. Yeah, it's like, did you like? I I think I liked it. Do you? Did you like it? And it was sort of like, yeah, I liked it. Really? Okay. So we, we had to talk about why we liked it because it's one of those films. that's like, it's hard to know who who I would recommend this film to. I wouldn't recommend it to many people. Hmm. I don't think many people will sort of enjoy the ride. It's it's a little bit like a roller coaster, um, a really slow roller coaster. <laughs> nice. So then the more we talked about it, the more we liked it. And so I can't wait to to watch it again. Oh, wow. Okay. And that is the list. So it sounds like you will probably watch Licorice Pizza and Don't Look Up. Did I convince you to watch Power of the Dog? You may have. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. We talk about Oscars. And it's like we grew up in the five films, right? Right. You get you get five films, and now you can get up to ten, and right. and that's it's a little bit different, right? I mean, it's um, and I I, I guess that's how it used to be back in the day, um, and I think part of that was a response to like we talked about, like sometimes movies would get snubbed, and and it would and that becomes mm-hmm. the story, um, but then at the same time, those movies were clearly not going to win anyway, so is not how important is that nomination? You know? Well, here's the thing about the five films i think that like for instance don't look up would be the kind of film that would not make it to the top five right in the in the old school oscar nomination system right too satirical perhaps too satirical too much of a comedy i mean when did the comedies ever make it to the top right top, you know best picture usually comedies are reserved for uh the best supporting actor or actress award sure yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. That's that's where they get the nod, right? That's where your Marissa Tomei's uh, for My Cousin Vinny or mm-hmm. Kevin Klein for A Fish Called Wanda, that kind of thing. And I think that even in the old days, maybe Dune wouldn't have made it on mm. because it's a genre movie. You know, right. it's 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 not just sci-fi; it's very hard sci-fi. And I think that sci-fi has come a long way in how it presents, but. Like I'm just looking at this list. I think if this was the old school Oscars, you'd probably have something like Power of the Dog, Nightmare Alley, King Richard, Belfast, and Coda. That would probably be your list. And then, you know, a movie. I mean, my favorite on this list is Dune. And, you know, I just said it was maybe one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. In the old system, it wouldn't have even been nominated. Probably. Just so you know, Power of the Dog is available on Netflix. Okay. So let me just go through this. So Coda is available on Hulu. Belfast is not available. King Richard is Apple Plus. Okay. Nightmare Alley is HBO Max. HBO Max, I think, is also on Hulu. Okay. Don't Look Up. Netflix, in fact, a Netflix production. Right. Um, Power of the Dog, also Netflix. Um, Dune, you can watch, or at least you, 
you can stream, you can purchase it. I watched it on HBO Max because it was HBO one of those Max. released and streaming at the same time. Right. And then Licorice Pizza, you can't watch right now. You can't stream it. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>